Hello, everyone. Amelia Taylor-Hockberg, Archonnect's editorial manager here. The interview you're about to hear was recorded as part of Archonnect's first ever live podcasting event series, Next Up, held during the opening weekend of the inaugural Chicago Architecture Biennial. As we ease into season two of our podcast, we'll be releasing over four hours of interviews and discussions from Next Up. Stay tuned to hear more about an exciting change to our shows this season and enjoy this interview from Next Up. Uh, Pedro and Juana, thank you so much for coming. I realize that your names are not Pedro and Juana. Um, (laughs) I'd like to introduce Ana Paula Ruiz Galindo and uh, Mickey Roos. Is that correct in the pronunciation? Mickey. Mickey? Mickey, yeah. You guys have probably answered this question many times before, but is there an origin story to your name? Sorry? Is there an origin story to your name, how it came about? Go. Go. Well, the the thing about architecture studios and practices is that they do architecture studio and practice architecture. So we have a background in architecture. We studied architecture, but we have been working for a long time in the production of art beforehand, becoming Pedro Juana. And at the moment that we had to choose a name, we tried to find something that was uh, open-ended, nondescript. Uh, in in terms of the content that uh, we would and could be working on, it's almost like a, just a storybook. So it is yeah. it is it is some somewhat fictional because at the moment that uh, you need Pedro y Juana to exist, they do. <laughs> Sorry, they couldn't come today. Um, and uh, at other times, they basically just serve uh, something very out of the ordinary to people. And uh, it, it also helps in, 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 at moments where a studio grows uh, and becomes potentially bigger to incorporate more people. So it's, it's about these two modes of operation in a way. Anna Paula, do you have anything to add? No, that's basically it. Um, I, I like this distinction between the title of the studio and the content of the studio. We also have in the biennial uh, Kames Gibson, who the Kames title is taken from a fictional character that does not exist, um, but is attached to the firm name to be able to give this yeah, air of mystery and kind of distinction between what has to be called architecture or what you presume is going to be coming out of the studio versus what you're allowed to do. I mean... It, it, it kind of has to do with authorship at the same time, no? It's like uh, the production of things that become larger are never bound to one genius. They, they are the product of uh, a lot of people collaborating on a project and, and, and making it happen. I mean, in our case, we're still two. So, I mean, the, the, the question of authorship becomes the symbiosis of that. And, but, but that's, in a way, a little bit the approach. It, it is not about a light bulb guy, girl, that invents something, <laughs> but uh, it's actually about the process of working a project. Uh, yeah. So I'd like to talk a little bit specifically about your installation here. I, me, not, myself, not being familiar so much with this building, I was told that this Randolph Square is, supposed, is perceived as the living room of the city <laughs> because as this building used to be a public library, this is where you know, anyone could come and just gather or exist. Did you factor in specific aspects of the history of the building when you were inspired to create this particular installation? Yes, we did. So, yeah, actually, this was the newsstand area where people would come. The library was above. And there were these huge newsstands coming out of the walls, and people would just stand and come and read, like, the news of the day. So that was pretty uh, part of the, of the inspiration of this place. And we spent a, a couple of days here when we were invited and just sat and looked at all the people that were 
coming around and using the space, which is quite amazing. It's quite public and people just come in and out and there's the regular guys that come every day from like nine to four and four to six and it's completely changing. So we took into account the fact that we had to be able to do something that was usable and that people will be able to sit and rock away in the chairs. So we were just thinking about the typologies of use that we could have with this space, I guess. And well, I mean, uh, how, do you, how do you engage with a public space that is indoors, that, that, that is titled the living room of the city, um, that is by title a domestic public situation, and uh, how do you engage with a range of people from the city that you don't know, that you have no idea about uh, what, 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 what they go about all day long, and, and uh, how do you actually engage designing a public square inside of a building? So we have an existing structure. We have old Victorian pompous building around us. Uh, most of it upstairs is with uh, more excess than... Than, than anything, but it, it's a public building, it's fantastic, you know, it's like the, the, the public got something precious uh, built by the city, and the story behind it is that uh, at the moment that this building was built, they levied a 1% tax on the population, so it is theirs on a direct uh, account in a way, yeah. and uh, that, that, that was kind of the starting point to go at it. And coming in here, before any of this was installed, I think the space does have that kind of, even though it is a public space, it's a little bit austere and a little bit, like, supposed to be elevating into this, you know, space of knowledge, but also public space. And so what I like about your installation as well is maybe this wasn't intended, but the interactivity notion of these pulley systems that you can use to adjust the height of the lamps, which might not have been what you hoped the people in here would actually do, or you... No, it was. It, it was, was supposed okay. to be moved and pulled and taken to wherever you needed them. So the purpose of the... Of course, the lighting... I mean, I think there's four, three different gestures that are all around in, in the space. It has to do with the surface of the walls, the trying to make people look up at the roof and create a different type of structure with the strings. And the lighting was so you could like bring it towards you, you know? or like whatever you needed to take it, you could pull it and do what you want with it. I mean, before, I don't know if people have seen this space before, but the lighting was quite different. <laughs> and we really wanted to engage with a more intimate type of space and something that you could relate to and be dynamic about. So, The fact yeah. that you can pull the light towards you and actually create somewhat of a localized space that is based on a, on a gesture of a drawing that creates some sort of a ceiling on top of you is, is, was kind of the intent. You guys also uh, put on these, I'd say, events called Sesiones Puerquitos. Am <laughs> yes. I saying that correctly? Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, and I think that's relevant here because these sessions are based on like interacting with the public around a specific topic, and that's as, it's basically as general as it gets, but with the twist, there's a piglet involved yeah. where you roast a pig. We roast the Which I would have loved to do right there, <laughs> but I don't think we can do that in here. Um, yeah. So tell us a little bit about like the inspiration behind those types of sessions and what, if, if there is an eventual goal, uh, what that may be. Well, it, it, there was an eventual, there was a goal. When we arrived, we were in LA for a few years, living there and working there, and then we arrived to Mexico and we wanted somehow to engage again with the architecture community or the art community, just to be able to talk to people. So we 
decided to roast a pig, a piglet, in this box that is called the cajachina, which is actually a Cuban, Cuban-American invention. <laughs> but, so you put a pig in a box and it lasts for, you have to cook it for five hours, or like five, six hours. And we thought it was a perfect uh, excuse to have a proper conversation because you had five hours to wait for your food. <laughs> and then you would have food and drinks and it could become much more dynamic. No, it's also because the best conversation sometimes happens when you're just like sitting down, eating and enjoying and not in a formal, uh, yeah, it allows people to unravel in different things. We were looking for a different type of, of uh, panel. I mean, the, the, this sort of conversation is something that happens in front of a public. You know, we, we, we have a conversation, but at the end of the day, there is a public that is listening and not directly engaging into this conversation. And our interest was more actually to surpass that and have a, a conversation quite like a party. You get people a little bit drunk and they actually speak <laughs> the truth, which uh, doesn't usually happen. And, and, it didn't uh, happen. Well, <laughs> it, it, it might, but, but it, it, and it has a certain time frame that it lasts and that, that was kind of the intent. And we, we experienced in Mexico quite a heavily structured way of architectural discussions that there, there, there are few spaces that that engage in a in a contemporary uh, discourse around architecture there's very little stuff being written on architecture there's few editorials that engage it so uh, sesiones porquitos was really an intent to try to break that open and and uh, have a series of conversations that we thought in the beginning we might document and uh, develop further but we got pulled into an institutionalized context pretty quickly and decided that was the reason why we had to kill the project. <laughs> so we will continue roasting pigs, but at home and uh, <laughs> around. We will see, we will see. Uh, well, that does connect to the biennial as a way of, it is absolutely institutionalizing a lot of the things that people are having a little bit of, there is some tension there, I think, for a lot of the participants, is kind of wanting to have that institutional support and access and to be able to literally reach out to anyone in that way while also not compromising whatever might have been the in initial intent towards the project. Towards the final question for our conversation, I wanted to ask how you kind of situate yourselves in the overall context of the biennial with the other participants. Do you see yourselves as a, occupying a specific part of the community or a particular part of the biennial? Well, for... <laughs> <laughs> What? <laughs> I can clarify. I, I think that uh, for us, uh, I mean, I, I don't know. I think it worked very differently for everybody in, in the Biennale and how they approached the projects. But for us, it was very straightforward. Like, we, we, we had this space that we had to deal with. And, and it, the functionality of it was very important. So in a way, I don't know if we're putting out such a, a straight... Uh, like an agenda about our work necessarily is more of about the design of the space. Maybe you are have another opinion. <laughs> I think you have to clarify your question. <laughs> well, so we've been the title of the biennial, the state of the art of architecture, is not a theme. There is no like explicit theme, but you still do have this incredible, incredibly vibrant and most very young uh, overall group of architects contributing, um, and a lot of them have different themes that they're working with specifically. But you still see certain ideas, like housing um, in particular, kind of crop up. And so I was just wondering if you kind of, in the context of all the other participants, see yourselves occupying another role or another theme that you feel is still represented but might not be uh, the main one. We haven't been asked to take a stand on housing. No. 
we have been asked to actually engage in a public space, in a public building in Chicago, in the context of biennial titled The State of the Art of Architecture. So, to a certain extent, yeah. Pedro y Juana, who are somewhere there, tried to engage with that theme. And th this is the result of it. So, I mean, I, I, I think, in, in a way, that was a decision by the curators. It, it, it might have been the genius of the curators to put certain people in certain spaces and ask, request certain things from them. So, um, or allow them to propose <laughs> whatever yeah. they wanted. Which I, that's what I really uh, appreciate of that, because it was very open-ended in a way, but it did allow you to put forward whatever you wanted to engage with in, in the broad state of the art of architecture. So, yeah. I guess our answer to that was this, the movement, the, dyna the dynamism. I mean, it passed a lot of process. It, it, it was a constant uh, questioning in between. So how are we going to put this idea of architecture into a functional space? How can we make it more dynamic so that people can actually use it and think of architecture when they come into here? No? So there's a series of architectural gestures that kind of proliferate through the space that layer it and keep on doing stuff but uh, at the moment that we leave and the panel leaves and the guy that makes a suit every morning out of plastic bags and tape are going to be back that's going to be the moment where the space actually gets activated in a different way and I think that's going to be interesting we have to months. see how, we, how, how, how they will respond to that and uh, I think that's the moment also where we can actually see whether this project that is superimposed on a public square works or fails. Thank you both so much. It was really a pleasure. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.